0: This year in Advent worship, there will be lots of crying. Good crying. We as a community of worship, every Sunday, will cry out the news that the world needs to hear. The news we need to hear. You know, before live news alerts lit up our phones 20 times a day, before cable news channels talked at us 24-7, even before newspapers, a crier would stand in the middle of the town square and cry out the latest news that people should know. And this happened across many cultures. Typically it was a single crier holding a bell or maybe a drum or trumpet to first catch people's attention and once some people gathered to listen, they would cry the news. I'd like to suggest that Advent is a season when we are called to be listeners and criers. It's a paying attention time, a straining to hear time, and then a time to do the work of angels To cry out what we hear. Yes, do the work of angels. Now somewhere along the line, angels became a symbol of innocence and beauty. Like, well, aren't you just a little angel? That's not what angels are about. Angels are criers. They are news bearers. Messengers. The word angel literally means messenger. The most accurate rendition of an angel is when they hold a trumpet. In the biblical narrative, angels perform an essential task on behalf of heaven. They connect earth and heaven. They keep the divine and human in touch. They proclaim news of God's activity on earth. Jesus said to his disciples just before he left for heaven to go and bear witness to his work and words in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I think it's abundantly clear that our work and the work of angels are very much parallel to each other, even hard to tell apart. Hence our Advent theme What shall we cry? We will cry hope and cry peace and cry joy and cry love. This is good work that we are called to do together. So let's embrace it. Keep in mind, though, that our cries are not just aimed out into a big, dark world beyond us. No, we also cry hope, peace, joy, and love to each other and to ourselves. And we cry them stubbornly and persistently because we ourselves often even have trouble believing them. Take hope, for example. It is our Christian vocation to live in hope to proclaim hope, to invite others to hope. Despair is not our vocation. Hope is. Always has been. As bad as things are now in the world, this is not really the worst of times historically. In terms of loss of human life, World War II killed 80 million people in six years, including 50 million civilians. The Chinese famine of the 1950s killed over 20 million. We are a divided country now, but 150 years ago, our own civil war took the lives of maybe three quarters of a million people. In percentage of the population, that's like losing eight million people in this country today. In all these historic tragedies, domestically and globally, persons of faith, like us, did not stop hoping. We made sacrifices. We got to work to relieve human suffering, to rebuild lives and societies. We formed global relief organizations that still thrive today, like MCC and MDS and others, and other groups mobilized as well. The human spirit, enlivened by the Spirit of God, did not retreat or walk away. It engaged. It cried hope. Now today, again... We are in dire straits. And many followers of Jesus express a sense of hopelessness. Why? Have we forgotten our reason for hope? Well then, what is it? Why should we hope? On what basis can we hope? Where is there solid ground for us to stand on? How can we trust in a good that is larger than ourselves, a good that will triumph over evil one day? Do we actually possess such a hope? Or better put, does such a hope possess us? It should Because we have a sturdy theology of hope. Words of hope abound in Scripture. Gloria read some from Isaiah 40 at the opening. Words that we'll look at in more depth next Sunday. And in today's text, the scene is a devastation. All around. The land not fit for human or animal. And yet, and yet, the days are coming, says the Lord, when once more will be heard the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And what will cause this turning around of the fortunes of the earth and its people? It will be God and human beings acting in concert with each other. It will be divine and human collaboration, co-laboring, working together. That is the way God set up the universe, my friends. God does not fix the world by waving a magic wand or wielding a lightsaber. No, God saves the world in a grand act of collaboration. God needs us because God is a collaborating Savior. In another passage from Isaiah, we hear these words. When we loose, notice the word, we loose the bonds of injustice, let the oppressed go free, share our bread with the hungry, bring the poor into our house, and clothe the naked like we clothe ourselves, then the light of God will shine. Yahweh will make us like a well-watered garden and the ruins will be rebuilt. In other words... We do the work of obeying God's demand for justice and compassion, and God does the work of healing the land. Both God and we have our work cut out for us, but it's a collaboration. Now, have we always been good collaborators? By no means. In fact, Sometimes people of faith have added to the world's injustices instead of collaborating with God in the work of undoing injustice. But hear this, despite our failures, we humans are still God's first choice as partners in healing the world. We see utter devastation now being wrought on this earth, Gaza, Ukraine, Myanmar, South Sudan, and I could spend another 20 minutes naming places. But the collaborating Savior is not giving up on this project. God still invites us to cry and live hope. So, what does crying hope look like? What does hope in action look like? Pastor and author Scott Jose answers this when he wrote, and I quote Hope is what got Mother Teresa to bathe the putrid flesh of lepers in Calcutta. Hope is what made Martin Luther King and others walk across the bridge in Selma. Hope is what got Nelson Mandela out of his prison bed every morning. Hope is what moves volunteers in a soup kitchen to ladle out chicken and rice. It's not the hopeless who establish hospices and Ebola clinics in Africa, or who stand in the breach when rival drug gangs threaten to shoot up neighborhoods, or who boldly stand up to power. It's the hopeful who do that. Believing in a God who makes things right does not lead us toward inaction or withdrawal. Rather... Believing in a saving God who saves through collaboration sends us out into the world with purpose and hope, no matter how dire or dangerous it becomes. Not suggesting that we all walk away from our present lives and walk into war zones, although some are called to do that, Sometimes our acts of collaboration are local, even next door. They may look pretty small, even insignificant. But in collaboration with God's Spirit, they become acts of grace and salvation. So today... As a sign of our commitment to collaborate with God, in God's saving and reconciling and redeeming work, we are together going to say yes to the invitation to join with Christ and with others at the table spread with love. We call it the communion table. Communion. We could also call it this morning the collaboration table. Because we're invited to share in and partake of these symbols of saving grace. The broken bread and shared cup. So the communion table at Parkview is open to all professing followers of Jesus who wish to commune with us, whether or not you are a member of this congregation.